Well, hello, listener. Welcome back to the Kyle Slough Podcast. I want to dive into something a little deep, a little uncomfortable, and I hope that you can grasp what I'm trying to articulate, and I'll do my best to try to explain it correctly. Now, these are very troubling times that we're in. These are very divisive times that we're in. And on the one hand, what people want to do is cling to cling to ideas of inclusiveness and uh, and nice language and all, all the feel-good stuff. But I recently... You know, you're trying to put all a lot of the recent stuff into context, and and it's not necessarily recent. It goes back to, I mean, the very first episode of the Kyle Style podcast, um, the migrant crisis, and and all of its surrounding uh, drama and and intrigue. But there's there's something big happening with all of this, and what's not being said as far as I can tell in a lot of the mainstream media and everything is beautifully laid out in a work of fiction that I recently, well, not even necessarily recently, I've been working my way up to doing this episode because it's kind of a giant clusterfuck. Uh, A work of fiction that covers this, that demonstrates it. And people a lot of times are saying that, you know... The, the world is becoming like 1984, man, you know? It's like the government's watching you, man. It's just like it's Orwellian, right? There's that word, Orwellian. It's the idea is so prevalent that this work of fiction, 1984, is becoming real that people just have a term for it, Orwellian, right? And people look for it everywhere, right? Government surveillance, you know? But there's another work of fiction that was brought to my attention thanks to left-leaning... Uh, news outlets in their witch hunt for deranged racists. And this applies to Steve Bannon, uh, former uh, head of, I think it was the head of, or president of Breitbart News. Uh, You could call him a right-wing guy. I think he's a Catholic. And he's a head muckety-muck with Trump in there. He's a head White House Aid. I don't know if what his official uh, position actually is, but well, you know what? Let's, let's look it up. Let's be thorough. Let's see. Steve Bannon. He's currently. He's just an advisor. He's just an advisor. So he doesn't actually have like a real, <clears throat> a real title. Uh, but I think he's been with the campaign from the beginning, and he's considered to be this kind of man behind the curtain as far as the Trump campaign is concerned. Now, he's been accused of anti-Semitism and racism and everything else. But uh, his this this, this uh, various left-leaning outlets uh, drew attention to this book, and it's called The Camp of the Saints. And it's written off honestly it's it's kind of written off as being this 
incredibly racist tract in the sense that it's uh i don't know i guess it's 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 people think it maybe think it's like mein kampf or something that it's some kind of uh holy racist diatribe of you know pro-whiteness or whatever and so i had to look it up right because i don't need any media outlet to really chew my food for me uh i can handle it i'm an adult so when you have an accusation like a head advisor to the president of the united states is a crazy racist uh anti-semite whatever if you take that charge seriously you're gonna go wow that's a hell of a charge what do we got what are we going off of here well we're working off of this is his bible the camp of the saints so you go well let's see what's going on here is this like the turner diaries is this uh you know is this is this mein kampf is this uh you know is this tom sawyer what is this huckleberry finn like what do you mean racist and as is often the case you find that it's it might be a little more complicated than you think so without further ado episode 80 of the kyle style podcast the camp of the saints so the camp of the saints was written by Jean Raspel. You'll have to forgive my butchering of the French language at any point in this because I sometimes get it, like the double L thing and the ES, and and I I kind of get it, but uh, I'm more of a Russophile or a, a Germanophile. The French is meh to me. But um, this book was written in 1973 uh, by Jean Raspel and. I don't think it has ever really been like a critical success or you know a financial success, but it's it's fairly it's fairly it's fairly well written as far as uh, call it a disaster fiction is concerned. It uh, almost warrants a episode of uh, Visions of the Apocalypse from me, but. What it is, is a story of, it's you know, set in the future from 1973, so it's maybe like current time then, but it's, so it's, parts of it are a little uh, uh, outdated as far as the modern world. But basically, it's set in France, and due to various international treaties and attitudes and uh, proclamations from... European governments, a mass migration begins. Right now, you can you can already see where this is going. Nineteen seventy three. Keep that in mind. Forty years, forty four years ago, whatever. Uh, and it starts in India, and hundreds and thousands of Indians take over boats and ships, and then they leave India heading for Europe because there's, you know, there's essentially been, I wouldn't say an open door policy, but there it is. Uh, they've kind of been invited. Now, now what this leads to is this sort of ticking clock as far as like fiction is concerned. You know, it's coming. More ships are joining this fleet. Uh, they're starving they're diseased they are the poorest of the poor of india and they are headed for europe 
And in preparation for this, one would think, well, you you know, you deploy the Navy to, like, intercept them or something. And, uh, well, you don't want to open fire on you know, just a bunch of, you know, women and children and everything. You don't want to just open fire on them, even though there's this massive threat, essentially, from this massive fleet. So a sort of humanitarian mindset takes hold. Not hard to see. It's not hard to see that. And the result is that no one really does anything. They just go, well, maybe there'll be a storm. Well, once they get here, you'll see. We'll we'll take care of them. We're going to help them out. And they're going to enrich and embolden, you know, France into the future. Well, as the book goes on to spell out in (laughs) shockingly graphic detail, not just the bait-and-switch aspect of of this uh, crisis, but the aftermath. And in some sense, it is highly racist. I mean, there's, uh, there's racial undertones to the whole thing and overtones to the whole thing. But it lays out basically exactly what's at stake with the current migrant crisis and in some element in some aspects of it there's purely white identity right there's purely well white genes are recessive so you know a white man has children or white person has children with a person of any other race you don't get a white child you get a mulatto a mixed a quadroon an octoroon whatever you want to call it and because these recessive white genes, or the white genes are recessive, it's, uh, you know, if you have that white identity, this is a problem. And this has been known for a long time and is a central kind of part of uh, white identity movements and everything, uh, you know, white purity, all that stuff. But there are other aspects to it that are not quite so superficial and it should be taken seriously and what's interesting is that this 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 book as even though it's a work of fiction hits on various aspects of this that it's 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 shocking it's it's shockingly accurate in certain aspects which i wasn't expecting to find right i thought well these journalists you know these writers for these websites they're saying that this is this horribly racist tract and they point to the coarser or you know more uh the more base you know passages and you go wow that's pretty messed up that's pretty racist uh but it's not quite what you'd think it's not it's not these people are scum and they must be killed and you know uh it's it's more subtle than that and in some sense is more accurate now I'm going to stop hemming and hawing and get to the get to the fucking point. So what I feel like is that when you paint Steve Bannon as a crazy racist and then you say, "Oh, well he's he reads this book. It reads it like it's his bible, you know, he sleeps with a copy of it or something." You're what you're doing is you're actually just trying to confirm 
what people already believe. You're saying, yeah, he reads this racist book, and here's a passage from that racist book. Oh, okay, now I don't actually have to do anything. I don't have to actually read that book. I just had my com my confirmation bias confirmed. Now, in this book, it's detailed. The... <laughs> The what I, I wanted to call the the decline before the fall, right? The crisis that's created by knowing that this massive fleet of you know a million or more uh, uh, refugees are headed to Europe, to France specifically, is a frightening, it's frighteningly prophetic. Uh, series of events. You have the Pope, uh, you know, the, Italy, right? The Pope, the head of the Catholic Church, essentially capitulating and espousing the moral responsibility to take in all these people. The, you know, uh, the, 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 it, you have to stand down, essentially, right? They think, this is going to be great, and these are also God's children, and all of that. But it's not just the Pope. Politically, the you know upper classes are kind of like, well, you know, this, this might work out well for us economically. There'll be all these new workers, and everything's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Just, you, just wait. You'll see. And then there's the, what is called self-loathing, white people and this is i feel like this isn't a new concept um white guilt about various aspects of things like uh you know call it or call it western foreign policy call it uh you know imperialism colonialism the slave trade the white racism that has or does exist leads all of the more progressive types which is generally everybody like everybody's like a bit progressive uh looking to the future and wanting to make things better in at least in that sense but uh they go yeah it's it's our responsibility to take all these people in now granted this wasn't a war as another migrant crisis in real life may have uh, been spawned from but <clears throat> sorry I, I may be rambling forgive me so, the massive fleet goes through various, uh, you know, uh, rough patches in its journey, and different groups of people, you know, includes the media, they're kind of reporting on it, like, day by day, yeah, the fleet's getting closer, but, uh-oh, there's a storm, oh, they came through the storm, okay, and everybody's hoping that something is just going to intervene on their behalf, uh, they're going to turn around, their disease is going to kill them all off, they're going to die of starvation before they arrive, there's going to be a storm, something like that. Everybody's hoping that someone else is going to do something. Other countries along the you know route that the fleet is on, they're going to do something. The uh, Pope leads a, a mission of a mission of mercy to take a bunch of supplies out to them and make contact with them and tell them, you know, like, hey, you're going to be invited in and just to check on them and make sure everything's fine. And one of the first envoys is murdered and thrown overboard right in front of everybody, in front of the international media, in front of everybody, and they throw the supplies in the ocean. It's not about them getting food. It's about going to this 
promised land. They're they're going to the promised land. They're going to drive their ships ashore, and they're going to make a new home there. And ultimately, it's basically what happens. And again, the media plays a role in this. It's, it's very clear in the story. The media essentially find talking points and slogans. They seize on them. They repeat them endlessly, like propaganda. They mislead the public about the size of this uh, fleet, the number of people, what it's actually going to mean when they arrive. And they use those tools, that I, those things that I kind of mentioned before. They use the white guilt and this chastisement to keep the public, you know, on their heels about things, you know, like uh, that we want to be an open, progressive France and, you know, the migrants are welcome. And they they seize on these certain certain news stories even, right? And this is... <sighs> <clears throat> Sorry, this is, there's so many different levels to all this, but the thing is that this migrant crisis has created, you know, I mean the real one in the real world, the Syrian, quote-unquote, Syrian migrant crisis has ballooned into just a general economic migrant crisis. There's no way to know how many people are actually from Syria. Uh, there's numerous people from you know, I'm talking millions from various parts of North and East Africa, various parts of the Middle East. And why they're coming to Europe and what the effects are going to be long-term are profound. And the people who are opposed to it have been in some cases, just blanket, painted as racists and xenophobes and Islamophobes, right? And people conveniently just skipping over other important factors here. And in some cases, these are directly reflected in this book, The Camp of the Saints, okay? Now, I'm going to give you a few examples because... The case for the camp of the saints being prophetic isn't necessarily hard to make, and the various concerns, the cases against uh, allowing the mass migration into Europe, is also not hard to make. And it wouldn't be hard to make the connection between, you know, uh, this crisis and, hey, look at the camp of the saints, and then use that, right? But I feel like a lot of people aren't going to know this because they're not going to actually read it because someone just told me it's bad. Okay, You have to exercise your freedom of mind, your freedom of thought, and your ability to access information and inform yourself. And say, what does it really say? Right? Which is why, I don't know, I haven't read Mein Kampf. Maybe I should. It seemed to be a big hit at the time. You should read the Communist Manifesto. It's had a bit of an impact. Anyways, so here's a few examples. Uh, it's, it's portrayed as media collusion in the book, but you could just call it misguided. 
but here, here's an example. There's a, a, a section in the book that's called this it's sort of a swimming pool incident. That's what I'm calling it anyway. Basically, in a rural French village, they had built a, a public swimming pool. and was the jewel of the town. Look at what we made for you, right? We made this great pool that everybody can come to. Some of you might already know where I'm going with this. And various Arab men, who I, th I think it's implied that they were kind of illegal immigrants into the country, uh, hadn't been screened by the public health services. So they spread uh, gonorrhea in the swimming pool. Young French children went swimming in the swimming pool and got gonorrhea. Now you've got 8 to 10 to 12-year-olds with gonorrhea. How'd you get gonorrhea? Well, you're not sexually active. Swimming pool. Let's check in. Oh, it's gonorrhea in the swimming pool water. So, quickly, they put up a sign. No Arabs in the swimming pool. What they should have put up was a sign saying, anyone who hasn't been screened by the public health services is not allowed to swim here. But it was only Arab men who were there who had this problem. So, national media picks it up. Oh, bigotry. Racism in our in the countryside. This village is full of racists. They banned Arabs from the swimming pool. Well, they go, oh no, okay, okay, this is making a lot of heat. Let's take the sign down. Everything's cool. Everybody's allowed to come swim. And of course, then the Arabs come back in and they swim in the swimming pool. None of the French people want to swim in the swimming pool anymore. It's been poisoned. Gonorrhea. Even if it hasn't continuously, it functionally has. So now the French people for whom the pool is built are not allowed to go there anymore. Now, in some sense, this is really happening. Uh, this is really happening in real life. Not gonorrhea in the swimming pool, although I assume that's probably happening too, but that could happen to anybody, right? You know, eh, some of us have gonorrhea and we go to the swimming pool. But something more frightening than that. Um... In the German town of Bornheim, they banned male refugees from the public swimming pool because they were allegedly sexually harassing the female swimmers. Uh, this has happened in various locations, by the way. And then you have this nightmarish case uh, in Vienna, Austria. Swimming pool. Public swimming pool. 10-year-old boy was raped uh, by an Iraqi refugee who had arrived in the country just two months earlier. Uh, raped this young boy because he claimed he was having a sexual emergency because he had not had sex for four months. Now, you know, in all seriousness, obviously, that's horrific, but you know how it is, right? You know how it is. You just spent four months. You just you you've got to you've got to fuck something, you know. And it's a humanitarian disaster that these men who escaped from a war zone also don't have something to penetrate with their dicks. You know, this should have been accounted for. Uh, what are they supposed to do with a sexual emergency like that? But you know, well, there's a young boy. It's the same thing, right? You can just. You know, you can just rape him, and 
October 2016, the Austrian Supreme Court overturned the man's conviction of rape. Uh, They pled it down, essentially, to aggravated sexual assault of a minor. You know, semantics. But the rationale was that he didn't know that the young boy wasn't consenting. There you go. And now, he's still going to serve time, but the idea that they went, oh, he didn't know. He didn't know that the young boy wasn't consenting to have sex with him. The He thought the young boy was homosexual or something, right? Right. Okay. This kind of thing isn't going to go over well long-term, and that's part of my long-term point with this ep- rambling episode. So you go back, you go back to maybe early episodes of the Kyle Style podcast. You look at the uh, Bakabazi episode. It was uh, U.S. military complicit in child rape. Afghan Afghani uh, soldiers on our bases there, uh, joint bases, were bringing young boys into the bases that were treated like prostitutes. Right, Bakabazi, they the dancing boys. They some of the cases they were chained to beds. Uh, one of our soldiers was even reprimanded and uh, lost his career in the military because he struck an Afghan commander who was engaged in this practice. And, I don't know, watch Kite Runner. You know, there it is. You know, you go to the the Cologne episode uh, of the Cologne sex attacks on New Year's Eve. Uh, not of this year, but of, uh, you know, 2015. And 2015-2016. And that was the, what's called Taharushka Mia. You, if you are want to sexually assault a woman in public, what you do is get a whole bunch of dudes and surround a woman and grope and molest her and tear her clothes off and do all kinds of terrible things. Do whatever you want to her because there's so many people packed around from the outside, no one can even really tell what's going on. She can't escape. So, you have your way with her. And this happened to as many as a thousand victims on that night in Cologne. I mean, that might be an overestimate, but, you know, one is too many. A hundred. You know? Say it's a hundred. It's still a systematic public sexual assault. And... In some cases, this is explained away as, oh, well, these women are wearing skirts and makeup in their home countries where these men have come from. That means that they're prostitutes. Oh, okay. So you can just sexually assault a, a sex worker? Is that what you're saying? Or, you know, in, they, they've done classes in places like Sweden to do a workshop kind of thing, right? They got to make uh, pamphlets and brochures to teach the men. Oh, yeah, you can't just rape women here. It's different. Okay, now, if we're at a point where you have to explain that having a sexual emergency and relieving that sexual emergency by uh, forcing a young boy to have sex with you in a public swimming pool, or that you can't sexually assault women in the streets, we have a problem. Okay? You have a problem. And that problem isn't racist Europeans being insensitive 
It's a matter of public safety, okay? And you had the mayor of Cologne saying that women needed to, well, maintain arm's distance from people you don't know. Oh, yeah, that's a solution. That's a solution. Let's see. <clears throat> oh, yeah, the German water park uh, forced to segregate water slides into male and female use after repeated incidents of migrants sexually harassing and assaulting young girls at the bottom of the slides. Now, I imagine that some of these incidents uh, devolved into violence because I feel like you can only see such things happen to your, what, your daughter? It's your sister? Maybe it's your own wife, your own girlfriend? And there had to have been violence in some of these cases. And the, the, the news story and many lawsuits that come out of it are the, the extended damage and the extended drama of the actual encounters. Never mind that, you know, these women were being sexually assaulted. Now, this is, this is kind of a baseline, okay? It's a little bit of a baseline for what I'm getting at here. You have this, you do have media collusion. You have the media pumping up the narrative that this is all going to be great. It's going to be great for our GDP, you see. It's going to be great for our, our workforce, right? Okay. And then you have situations like, well, I, I've been trying to not do them. And I'm only mentioning this in this episode because it's, current and relevant I, I would thought about doing my own episode a whole episode on it but it's just i'm just not gonna do it uh the ariana grande concert was bombed the other day uh i'm gonna say specifically targeted because it was young girls uh praising you know unveiled female sexuality I'm not promote i'm not endorsing all that i'm just saying that that's what that's what i think it was and I think we're up to 22 dead now with a, a pipe bomb packed with nails. And these were these were young girls. Sometimes they were they were 10 years old, younger. You know, they, they blew up little girls, okay? Muslim radicals blew up little girls at a pop concert because they don't like, they don't, they don't like, they don't like it. They, whatever. They, they don't give a fuck. They don't like female sexuality. Right? They don't like Western style of, of women putting any kind of sexuality on display. Now, we have a conversation about that. Right? We have a conversation about, well, it's hypersexualized for young women, and it's uh, maybe presenting an uh, unhealthy standard of behavior. Maybe Ariana Grande's, you know, the body image is she's photoshopped in all of her magazine covers, and that's producing an unhealthy uh, body image for the young girls. And that's that's the conversations we have. And you might have some religious conservatives or something outside with signs like, you know, skin is sin, whatever. Nobody's blowing the place up with pipe bombs. Now. I understand, yeah, I hope you understand where I've taken you with this. We started off talking about a work of fiction, about a giant horde of uh, third world people flooding into Europe, okay? And then I'm sort of talking about real news stories. You see the connections, I hope you do. Now, I hope you also understand that 
me being concerned about these things when they are mostly contained to the far side of the world. This played a role in our election here, right? This was part of the Donald Trump platform. And it's not baseless. Okay, this isn't, I'm going to protect you from leprechauns. This is, this is a problem. This is getting out of hand. And you look at things like, well, disease was a story I just saw today. I'm going to mention it uh, just as a point. Uh, I'd have to, you know, maybe I'll try to include the links and everything. But it was that cases of leprosy have been showing up in Italy, right? And leprosy had been eradicated from Italy. And where is it coming from? It's coming from migrants. So now you got leprosy reintroduced to Europe, right? So you go back to that gonorrhea story from the Camp of the Saints, right? Not that we've wiped out gonorrhea, but, uh, you know, there you go. Disease, they're bringing violence, they're bringing strange perceptions of men and women and sexuality and everything. And long-term, this is something that people get really uncomfortable about. The demographics issues. And in representative democracies, the demographics are important. You often have Middle Eastern or Muslim men having multiple wives. By multiple wives, they father multiple children. So their population doesn't grow the way other populations grow in any one country. It's almost explosive how fast they grow. And I think it's, I don't know how true it is, but I've seen estimates that various European countries are going to be uh, minority white by like 2050, 2060. And what you're going to see is a supplanting of the culture, right? These people are never going to leave. They're going to stay. They do what's called welfare shopping. They get to Europe by whatever means, right? Crossing the Mediterranean in boats. And then they find a country to go to that has whatever the best benefits are for them. And so then they go to Norway or Sweden, you know, UK, wherever they can get to. And they're not going to leave. <laughs> they're not going to leave. Why would you? So those are now permanent populations. This isn't about providing refuge for people fleeing a war zone. Uh, a giant knife has been stabbed into the hearts of all of these different European countries that have accepted migrants. And it's going to take decades to figure out what the actual impact is going to be. And whether or not they can assimilate this many this quickly. And this is exactly what's laid out in the Camp of the Saints, okay? And it's not... Again, it's that you could take it as hate. It's this hatred and xenophobia of Muslims, and they're all bad, and they're all molesty, rapey terrorists, right? And that would be pretty 
that'd be a blanket generalization, right? That wouldn't be uh, very astute of you to make, and it wouldn't be obviously very nice to do, right? It wouldn't be fair. But it's it's a crisis. It's a deepening crisis, and again, the media has played a role in perpetuating the you know perpetuating this. Uh, narrative that it's all going to be fine, everything's going to be good, right? Like, we're still open and inclusive and totally not racist, right? <sighs> think about it this way. Think about it this way. Japan has taken in, like, a hundred migrants. Why? Because they said we don't want to. <laughs> they also haven't had any of these problems. Uh... Poland doesn't offer a lot of the uh, welfare, uh, social welfare uh, benefits. So the, m the migrants going there has been really, really low. And they haven't had any of these incidents, terrorist attacks or anything else. And and this isn't just the big ones, okay? This, this is the thing. It's not just these big ones like Paris where they you know, gunned all those people down in that uh, Bataclan theater and then held people hostage and cut their genitals off and stuck them in their mouths and all that kind of thing. Yeah, we didn't hear about that until like a year later because the, the French government decided, well, we don't want to cause a panic or inspire xenophobia, right, or Islamophobia. So we'll just hold back this brutal information about what these people did to French people. Whatever race or color or religion they were, they were there at that concert that night, and they were getting massacred by these savages. Now, this, again, this, this, this has levels. There's many different levels to this. And in terms of the book, it is the story of the death of Western civilization uh, being drowned out, not just by, call it brown people, right? It's, it's not the racial aspect that's really the issue here. It's that, for example, in Saudi Arabia, there are special training courses for the police to deal with witchcraft. Okay? They take special courses to learn how to deal with witchcraft. Now, we already did that, okay? We, we've already been through that. And we found that allowing witchcraft to be part of law lends itself to some pretty shitty things. Because, well, first, it's not real. There is no magical powers. And second, allowing people to make accusations and get people locked up, uh, drowned, burned alive, or imprisoned for claims that they practiced witchcraft, is incredibly detrimental. So, we learned. We don't do it anymore. Witchcraft is not part of law, because it's not real. They're still doing that, okay? So keep that kind of thing in mind. It's, it's that witchcraft is real, is a belief, right? That, you know, call it the religion, right? There it is. It's Islam, right? That's a little bit in opposition to Christianity. There's a little history there you might have heard of. Same with Jews. Jews are fleeing Europe because 
of the increase in the Islamic populations. <sighs> Again, these things compound one upon another. It's it's this idea that you you have a sexual emergency that 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 is your your learned view of sexuality as a man is that I have to release my seed somewhere because it's been four months, you know? How much can you take? And then you have to penetrate a young boy against his will, right? And that's just, that's, this is called culture. And it's going to include food and music and architecture and various other social practices, right? Uh, burqas, hijabs, uh, sharia, the treatment of women, all of these things are going to come in with all these people. Not to mention diseases, right? <sighs> now, I understand how this sounds. You're like, Kyle, oh, man, you, you're going full white power on this one, bro. Fine. If that's what you want to call it, fine. But imagine, think about this again, Japan. How would you feel if there was millions of people flooding into Japan? And setting off bombs, spreading disease, and demanding that they change what they're doing to accommodate you. How, what would that look like? Would the Japanese be racist to say, no, we're not doing that. We are samurais. We are, I don't know, cherry blossoms this is what we are and you're trying to change what we are we're not gonna we're not gonna stand for it cultural hegemony sure uh exclusionary uh yeah kind of if you don't integrate if you don't assimilate right is that in that case it's not white racism it would be what japanese racism japanese cultural hegemony an insistence on japanese culture over these imported ones China? China doesn't tolerate much from their small, you know, Muslim population. The Uyghurs. Right? Australia's having these problems, too. They've agreed to take in migrants, and they're having people taken hostages with machetes. All kinds of problems. Now, is this a racial issue? Not, not exactly, no. It's not about racial superiority. <sighs> it's that... There are dangerous radicals, and we know that groups like ISIS have stated that they're going to intentionally infiltrate people in with the migrants and sneak them into Europe in order to commit violence against people. <sighs> you see how these, I mean, like I said, it goes back to this book. Uh, let's break it down a few more. Let's do a few more. Let's see. Uh, infiltrating into the thing. Let's see. The declining birth rate in Germany will not be aided by over a million refugees. So there's a the the birth rate in Germany has been climbing for uh, quite some time, and if there's some kind of employment issue, if there's some kind of a financial or economic issue that's whole, that's preventing people from breeding, getting married, starting families, maybe owning home in which to do that, a million new newcomers 
isn't going to help the job market a whole lot. It's not going to help the housing market a whole lot, right? And especially not if they're blowing up shopping malls and, you know, concert venues and, you know, affecting tourism and trade and all that other stuff. <sighs> Out of 1.2 million migrants that arrived in Germany, in two years, just 34,000, or 2.8%, have found a job. Now, again, you can swing that either way you want. You could say that actually none of them have, or you could double that. You could go five percent. You could say ten percent have found a job. But how many times above that rate are you going to go? Half have found a job. One point two million migrants. That's still what seven hundred thousand unemployed, mostly young men. Young. Young men with idle hands doesn't tend to lend itself to a whole lot of good things. So, how about, uh, you know, economic impact, right? Well, okay, wait. Islamic incompatibility with Western values. 70% of Middle Eastern and North African Muslims believe Sharia should be the law of the land. Now, that is directly uh, in conflict with secular rule, secular government. You have a religious law in place. It's a problem. I imagine if you've stuck with me this far through my ramblings that you maybe already know some of these things. Maybe you're a listener of the Kyle Style podcast and you've already heard me say this stuff before. So we'll just kind of keep moving here. And I've got a whole bunch of links. I want to include them. If you're just now getting here, you're just now getting hip to what's going on, You've got a lot of work to do to catch up, okay? This is not a simple situation, and it's not going to get any simpler. It's not going to get any better anytime soon. This is an incredibly long-term problem. Uh, but okay, economic impact. How about a chain of local hotels and restaurants uh, slumped by up to 70% for months after the Paris attacks? And has never fully recovered. That's European hotel and restaurant chain. 70% decline in tourism. You can't stay in business with levels like that for, for too long. And here's one that you've heard about, you might have heard about. Uh, people have said it's a conspiracy theory. But they're called no-go zones. And there's a... It's a, it's a demonstration of it. 60 Minutes uh, film crew went from Australia to Sweden. They go into this Muslim area uh, of the cities, and they try to just talk to people. Try to just talk to people and be like, hey, what's going on? We just want to talk to you. They get attacked for filming. Dudes have masks over their face. They start throwing rocks. They start beating on people. And... Not the hero that Sweden deserves, but apparently the hero that Sweden needs came in the form of a, a f fat old guy on a rascal scooter crashing his scooter into some of these guys, <laughs> getting them to stop. Uh, the police told them, you know, you guys need to leave. Not, not the hooligans, but the film crew. Nah, you need to leave. Let's just get out of here. And this has happened in, in multiple places in Europe, not just in Sweden. So... The deepening crisis. So how about this? So Turkey, uh, who have, to their credit, 
taken in over a million refugees, right? Uh, President Erdogan has threatened to release more immigrants into the into the EU. He's basically blackmailing Europe, right? And if they don't, if they call his bluff and he's not bluffing, there will be a million more. 1.2 million came into Germany in the course of what, two years. How about another 500,000 in a year? What if all million of them head to Germany? It's 3.2 now in like, what, three years? Come on. This is a humanitarian disaster on a massive scale. Now, again, where are you going with all this, Kyle? Where are you going with all this? Well, it's not hard, again, like I said, to draw a connection between Camp of the Saints, uh, call it call it white genetic fragility, call it irresponsible reporting in the media, and draw a conclusion that this is a conspiracy that's intentional. I've seen people say that this is all intentional, that this migrant crisis isn't uh, really a disaster, it's intended, because various groups, whom, whomever, want to destroy Europe, they want to destroy European culture, they want to destroy uh, white people, whatever you want. You can pick it apart any way you want. But you have to understand that if you were, say, a liberal, you're, you're a progressive, you're an anti-racist, it's not hard to, to make these connections and to create these narratives. And I'm not saying that, I'm not arguing for the intentional aspect, but I'm arguing for the this is worse than you think aspect. The this has been incredibly irresponsible aspect. And the only counter argument to any of the things I've pointed out are that it's still the moral thing to do. Well, when France is majority non-white, majority non-Christian, uh, in some sense, if you if people don't integrate, it won't even be French-speaking anymore. In what, 30 years? 40? 50? And then there's a a white minority in France and people who never integrated, who don't speak French, can't read French probably, uh, by extension, may or may not, you know, let's be fair, some of them might still understand and appreciate French culture, but are they going to practice French culture? That's the question. So is France going to be France anymore? Right? Is Germany going to be Germany anymore? What happens when there's not enough people to hold Oktoberfest? Is that important? Is that an important aspect of German culture? I mean, I don't know. I'm not German. I know that I'd be a little taken aback if here in America we got rid of Fourth of July. You know, or if Christmas was suddenly not really a thing. That would be concerning. Or to know that in, well, in 50 years, people aren't going to be, you know, celebrating Christmas anymore. Huh. Really? How'd that happen? Are we just dying off? Oh no, some politicians made some decisions and told the world that they could come here, and they uh, kind of replaced us. Hmm. 
Okay. It's interesting. And if you want to, you can get angry about that. And depending on who you're angry with and what you decide to do about it, you can write your congressman or you can write a blog or you can record a podcast. But not everybody's going to do that. Some people are going to get pissed off and they're going to take up arms and they are going to organize. And in some cases, this is already happening. Uh, my my uh, culture warrior girlfriend, Lauren Southern, just did a piece on, uh, on uh, young youth groups in France that are organizing around this idea of French identity. Like, we're young and we're French. And we are going to go out and turn migrant boats away when they're coming ashore. Right? Uh, they got arrested for doing this. This is one of many different things that they've done. But I can't tell them that they're wrong. I understand why people might think that they're wrong. But I can't tell them that they're wrong. It is your country. You want it to stay, in some sense, within some capacity, the way that it is. If you try to bottle that up, you try to repress that, you're going to spawn something more extreme, right? Because this is people doing this to each other, but it's also government. It's also the media. It feels like a giant conspiracy to control, uh, manipulate facts, to try to hide data, to try and keep promoting this like this is all such a great thing, even when people are dying by the thousands trying to reach Europe. They're drowning. There are something like 10 million more migrants already on the move to Europe. They're still headed to Europe. And this summer, when the weather is better, the ships crossing the Mediterranean are going to resemble something like what the... Uh, was depicted in the camp of the saints. Now, look, I mean, I already, I already, I already called myself out for going full white power on this one. But again, this comes back to culture. Okay, one of the characters in the book is a is an Indian, right, from India, and he has lived in France, his, his family has lived in France for multiple generations, and he identifies as French. And he lays it out. Um, what is his name? Hamadura. Hamadura, uh, an Indian who had accepted Western values and appreciated Western culture. He says, What I wanted to tell them, Hamadura continued, was that, to my way of thinking... Being white isn't really a question of color. It's a whole mental outlook. Every white supremacist cause, no matter where or when, has had blacks on its side. And they didn't mind fighting for the enemy either. Today, with so many whites turning black, why can't a few darkies decide to be white? <laughs> like me, I decided, and here I am. With my four rifles and my friend Solacero here, I came across him on the road this morning, and I'll tell you, he's got one hell of a trigger finger. Anyway, thank you for coming to our rescue. So, accepting Western culture, 
European civilization, European culture, whatever, stripe, may or may not be an actual matter of race. It's a matter of accepting a deep, deeply rooted lineage of culture, a heritage that you are born into, you accept it or you don't, and you can come into it and accept it or not. And what has worked for millennia now in Europe, in the West, here, right here in America, we are part of that same heritage. You know, secular government, property rights, call it relatively free markets, uh, valuing art, architecture, literature, history, uh, knowing one's place in history, one's place in the physical cosmos of the universe, uh, knowing one's capabilities and having the ability to increase those capabilities and honoring and valuing that. Um, again, not really a racist issue. It's not an issue of race or racism. It's a matter of whether or not you get that. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. And you say yes to that. And you realize that it is precious, it is vital, it is important, and it needs to continue to be the future. Or you say, nah, that's just racist shit, man. You just read a racist book from a racist guy that works for the president, and you're trying to, you're a white dude, so you're just trying to justify white racism and xenophobia. Well, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to stop talking now, because this rant has gone on long enough. But I want to play you a little thing I, I produced. I put this together for you. It's a little selected reading from the Camp of the Saints with all the jiggy sound effects and everything else. And it demonstrates pretty functionally what I'm talking about. And if you want to know more, I will include a link to the PDF of this book so that you can read it yourself. Don't be afraid to read what people tell you is, is, is unreadable or should not be read. Uh, that's its own form of, you know, that's some form of mind control. Fuck that. You read 1984, you read Gulag Archipelago, you read The Camp of the Saints, go read the fucking Turner Diaries and read Mein Kampf and read fucking Karl Marx, okay? Read it all. Atheists should read religious stuff. Religious people should read atheist stuff. You need to understand what you're actually thinking about. And you're only going to do that if you read something contrary to what you already believe. Right? It's for your own benefit. So, I'll let my own little pre-recorded passage play itself out. Um, when, you're, when you're all done, you should head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design and buy some of my racist, bigoted, xenophobic, uh, Islamophobic call it homophobic too, whatever, uh, artwork on some uh, mugs and shirts and all that good stuff, and you'll get a little piece of uh, Western-inspired artwork in your life before we're all snuffed out by invading hordes of brown people who are going to breed like rabbits, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, or head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple of dollars, because apparently I'm not above begging for free money. So... Uh, thank you for listening. Episode 80. 
I'll look for you on the next episode, and I'll let myself play me out. Bye-bye. The old professor had a rather simple thought. Given the wholly abnormal conditions he had read and reasoned, and even written too much, versed as he was in the workings of the mind, to dare propose anything, even to himself, but the most banal of reflections, worthy of a schoolboy's theme. It was a lovely day, warm but not hot, with a cool spring breeze rolling gently and noiselessly over the covered terrace outside the house. His was one of the last houses up toward the crest of the hill, perched on the rocky slope, like an outpost guarding the old brown-hued village that stood out above the landscape, towering over it all, as far as the tourist resort down below, as far as the sumptuous boulevard along the water, with its green palms, tips barely visible, and its fine white homes, as far as the sea itself, calm and blue, the rich man's sea, now suddenly stripped of all the opulent veneer that usually overspread its surface, the chrome-covered yachts, the muscle-bulging skiers, the gold-skinned girls, the fat bellies lining the decks of sailboats, large but discreet, and now, stretching over that empty sea, a ground some fifty yards out, the incredible fleet from the other side of the globe, the rusty, creaking fleet that the old professor had been eyeing since morning. The stench had faded away at last, the terrible stench of latrines that had heralded the fleet's arrival like thunder before a storm. The old man took his eye from the spyglass, moved back from the tripod. The amazing invasion had loomed up so close that it already seemed to be swarming over the hill and into his house. He rubbed his weary eye, looked toward the door. It was a door of solid oak, like some deathless mass, jointed with fortress hinges. The ancestral name was carved in somber wood, and the year that one of the old man's forebears in uninterrupted line had completed the house, 1673. The door opened out on the terrace, from the large main room that had served as his library, parlor, and study all in one. There was no other door in the house. The terrace, in fact, ran right to the road, down five little steps with nothing like a gate to close them off, open to any and every passerby who felt like walking up and saying hello, the way they so often did in the village. Each day, from dawn to dusk, that door stood open, and on this particular evening, as the sun was beginning to sink down to its daily demise, it was open as well, a fact that seemed to strike the old man for the very first time. He looks down and assesses this ragtag fleet that's assembled at the water's edge below his hillside home. He makes some rough calculations based on the number of people he can see on the decks, the number of decks in the ships, the number of total ships, and makes a rough estimate. And he comes out to a hundred ships with nearly a total of nearly three million refugees piled, packed into these hundred ships. A hundred ships. The old professor felt a shudder well up within him, that quiver of exaltation and humility combined, the feeling we sometimes get when we turn our minds hard as we can to notions of the infinite and the eternal. On this Easter Sunday evening, 800,000 living beings and thousands of dead ones were making their peaceful assault on the Western world. Tomorrow it would all be over. And now, rising up from the coast to the hills, to the village, to the house and its terrace, a gentle chanting, yet so very strong for all its gentleness, like a kind of sing-song, droned by a chorus of 800,000 voices. 
Long, long ago, the Crusaders had sung as they circled Jerusalem on the eve of their last attack, and Jericho's walls had crumbled without a fight when the trumpets sounded for the seventh time, perhaps when all was silent, when the chanting was finally stilled. The chosen people, too, would feel the force of divine displeasure. There were other sounds as well, the roar of hundreds of trucks. Since morning, the army had taken up positions on the Mediterranean beaches, but there in the darkness there was nothing beyond the terrace but sky and stars. It was cool in the house when the professor went inside, but he left the door open all the same. Can a door protect a world that has lived too long? Even a marvel of worksmanship, three hundred years old, and one carved out of such utterly respectable western oak? There was no electricity. Obviously, the technicians from the power plants along the coast had fled north too with all the others. The petrified mob, turning tail and running off without a word, so as to not have to look, not see a thing, which meant they wouldn't have to understand or even try. The professor lit the oil lamps that he always kept on hand in case the lights went out. He threw one of the matches into the fireplace. The kindling, carefully arranged, flashed up with a roar, crackled, and spread its light and warmth over the room. Then he turned on his transistor, tuned all day long to the national chain. Gone now the pop and the jazz, the crooning ladies and the vapid, vapid babblers, the black saxophonists, the gurus, the smug stars of stage and screen, the experts on health and love and sex. All gone from the airwaves, all suddenly judged indecent, as if the threatened West were concerned with the last acoustic image it presented of itself. Nothing but Mozart, the same on every station, eine kleine Nachtmusik, no less. And the old professor had a kindly thought for the program director, there in his studio in Paris. He couldn't possibly see or know, and yet he had understood. For those 800,000 sing-song voices that he couldn't even hear, he had found instinctively the most fitting reply. What was there in the world more Western than Mozart, more civilized, more perfect? No, 800,000 voices could drone their chant to Mozart's notes. Mozart had never written to stir the masses, but to touch the heart of each single human being, in his private self. What a lovely symbol, really. The Western world summed up in its ultimate truth. An announcer's voice roused the old professor from his musings. The President of the Republic has been meeting all day at the Elysee Palais with government leaders. Also present in view of the gravity of the situation are the chiefs of staff of the three branches of the armed forces as well as the heads of the local and state police, the prefects of the departments of Var and Alpes Maritimes, and in a strictly advisory capacity. His Eminence, the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris, the Papal Nuncio, and most of the Western ambassadors currently stationed in the capital. At present, the meeting is still in progress. A government spokesman, however, has just announced that this evening, at about midnight, the President of the Republic will go on the air with an address of utmost importance to the nation. According to reports reaching us from the South, all still seems quiet on board the ships of the refugee fleet. A communique from Army Headquarters confirms that two divisions have been deployed along the coast in the face, in the face of... The announcer hesitated, and who could blame him? Just what could one call that numberless, miserable mass? The enemy? The horde? The invasion? The third world on the march? In the face of this unprecedented incursion... There, not too bad at all. 
and that three divisions of reinforcements are heading south at this moment, despite considerable difficulty of movement. In another communique issued not more than five minutes ago, Army Chief of Staff Colonel Dragasi has reported that troops under his command have begun setting fire to some 20 immense wooden piles along the shore in order to... Another hesitation. The announcer seemed to gasp. The old professor even thought he heard him mutter, My God. In order to burn the thousands of dead bodies thrown overboard from all the ships. And that was all. A moment later, with hardly a break, Mozart was back replacing those three divisions hurtling southward and the score of funeral pyres that must have begun to crackle by now in the crisp air down by the coast. The West doesn't like to burn its dead. It tucks away its cremation urns, hides them out in the hinterlands of its cemeteries. The Seine, the Rhine, the Loire, the Rhone, the Thames are no Ganges or Indus. Not even the Gwalgwiver and the Tiber. Their shores never stank with the stench of roasting corpses. Yes, they have flowed with blood, their waters have run red, and many a peasant has crossed himself as he used his pitchfork to push aside the human carcasses floating downstream. But in western times, on their bridges and banks, people danced and drank their wine and beer, men tickled the fresh, young, laughing lasses, and everyone laughed at the wretch on the rack, laughed in his face, and the wretch on the gallows, tongue dangling, and the wretch on the block, neck severed, because indeed the western world stayed as it was, knew how to laugh as well as cry. And then, as their belfries called them to prayer, they would all go partake of their fleshly god, secure in the knowledge that their dead were there, protecting them, safe as could be, laid out in rows beneath their timeless slabs and crosses in graveyards nestled against the hills, since burning, after all, was only for devilish fiends or wizards or poor souls with the plague. The professor stepped out on the terrace. Down below, the shoreline was lit with a score of reddish glows, ringed round with billows of smoke. He opened his binoculars and trained them on the highest of the piles, flaming neatly along like a wooden tower, loaded with corpses from bottom to top. The soldiers had stacked it with care, first a layer of wood, then a layer of flesh, and so on all the way up. At least some trace of respect for death seemed to show in its tidy construction. Pretty cool, man, huh? exclaimed a voice in the shadows. Noiselessly, the young man had come up the five little steps from the road and onto the terrace. Feet bare, hair long and dirty, flowered tunic, Hindu collar, Afghan vest. I've just been down there, he said. Fantastic. I've been waiting five years for something like this. Are you alone? So far, except for the ones who are already here. But there's lots more on the way. They're all coming down, and walking, too. All the pigs are pulling out and heading north. I didn't see a single car in this direction. Man, they're going to be bushed, but this is too good to miss. Going to smoke and shoot dope and walk all the way. Make it down here on their feet, not on their butts. Did you get a close look down there? Real close, only not for long. I got smashed a couple of times, some soldier with his gun like I was trash. But I saw a bunch of other soldiers crying, it's great. I'm telling you, tomorrow this country's going to be something else. You won't know it. It's going to be born all over. Did you see the people on the boats? You bet I did. And you think you're anything like them? Look, your skin is white. You're a Christian, I imagine. You speak our language. You have our accent. You probably even have family hereabouts, don't you? So what? My real family's all the people coming off those boats. 
Here I am with a million of my brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and wives if I want them. I'll sleep with the first one that lets me and I'll give her a baby, a nice dark baby. And after a while, I'll melt into the crowd. Yes, you'll disappear. You'll be lost in that mass. They won't even know you exist. Good, that's just what I'm after. I'm sick of being a tool of the middle class. I'm sick of making tools of people just like me, if that's what you mean by existing. My parents took off this morning, and my two sisters with them, afraid of getting raped all of a sudden. They went and dressed up like everyone else, these real square clothes, I mean. Things they haven't put on in years, like neat little skirts and blouses with buttons. So scared, you wouldn't know them. Well, they won't get away. Nobody's going to get away. Let them try to save their ass. They're finished, all of them. Man, you should have seen it. My father with his arms full of shoes from his store, piling them into his nice little truck. And my mother bawling her head off, figuring out which ones to take, picking out the expensive ones and leaving the rest. And my sisters already up front, huddling together and staring at me, scared to death like maybe I was the first one in line to rape them. And meanwhile, I'm laughing and having myself a ball. Like when my old man pulls down the grill in front of the store and sticks the key in his pocket. Listen, I told him, a lot of good that's going to do. I can open your door myself without a key. And I will, tomorrow. And you know what they'll do with your goddamn shoes? They'll probably use them to piss in. Or maybe they'll eat them. Because they'll all go barefoot. Then he gave me a look, and he spit on me. So I spit back and got him in the eye with a big one. And that's how we said goodbye. What brings you here? Why this village? Why my house? I'm looting, that's why. I sponged off society while it was alive, so now that it's dead, I'm going to pick its bones. It's a change. I like it, because everything's dead. Except for the army, and you, and a few of my friends. There's no one around for miles. So I'm looting, man, but don't worry, I'm not hungry. I've already stuffed myself. And anyway, I don't need much. Besides, everything's mine now. And tomorrow I'm going to stand here and let them have it all. I'm like a king, man, and I'm going to give away my kingdom. Today is Easter, right? Well, this is the last time your Christ's going to rise. And it won't do you any good this time either, just like all the rest. I'm afraid I don't follow. There's a million Christs on those boats out there. And first thing in the morning, they're all going to rise. The million of them. So your Christ all by himself. Well, he's had it, see? Do you believe in God? Of course not. And those million Christs? Is that your own idea? No, but I thought it was kind of cool. For Padre talk, I mean. I got it from this priest. One of those worker types from the wrong side of town. I ran into him an hour ago. I was on my way up here and he was running like crazy down the hill. Not in rags or anything, but kind of weird. He kept stopping and lifting his arms in the air like the ones down there and he'd yell out, Thank you, God, thank you. And then he'd take off again, down to the beach. They say there's more on the way. More what? More priests just like him. Say, listen man, I'm getting tired of you. I didn't come here to talk. Besides, you're just a ghost. How come you're still around? I want to hear what you have to say. You mean my bullshit interests you? Immensely. Then I'll tell you something. You're through. Dried up. You keep thinking and talking, but there's no more time for that. It's over, so beat it. Oh, I dare say. Listen, you and this house, you're both the same. You look like you've both been here for a thousand years. Since 1673, to be exact. The old gentleman answered, smiling for the first time. Three centuries, father to son. 
and always so sure of yourselves, so damn sure of everything. Man, that's sick. Quite true, but I find your concern a trifle surprising. Perhaps you're still one of us after all? Perhaps just a little? Shut up before you make me puke. Maybe you've got a pretty house, so what? And maybe you're not a bad old guy. Smart and refined and everything just right. But smug, man, so sure of your place. So sure that you fit right in with everything around you. Like this village of yours with its 20 generations of ancestors just like you. 20 generations without a conscience, without a heart. What a family tree. And now here you are, the last perfect branch. Because you are. You're perfect. And that's why I hate you. That's why I'm going to bring them here tomorrow. The grubbiest ones in the bunch. Here to your house. You're nothing to them. You and all you stand for. Your world doesn't mean a thing. They won't even try to understand it. They'll be tired, man. Tired and cold. And they'll build a fire with your big wooden door. And they'll crap all over your terrace. And wipe their hands on your shelves full of books. And they'll spit out your wine and eat with their fingers from all that nice pewter hanging inside on your wall. Then they'll squat on their heels and watch your easy chairs go up in smoke. And they'll use your fancy bed sheets to pretty themselves up in. All your things will lose their meaning. Your meaning, man. What's beautiful won't be. And what's useful they'll laugh at. What's useless they won't even bother with. Nothing's going to be worth a thing. Except maybe a piece of string on the floor. And they'll fight over it and tear the whole damn place apart. Yes, it's going to be tremendous. So go on, beat it, fuck off. One moment if I may. You told me there was no more time for thinking and talking, yet you seem to be doing a good deal of both. I'm not thinking, man, I'm just telling you where I stand on things. I thought of a long time ago. I'm through thinking, so fuck off, you hear me? One last question. When they go smashing everything to bits, they won't know any better. But why you? Why? Because I've learned to hate all this. Because the conscience of the world makes me hate all this, that's why. Now fuck off, you're beginning to get on my ass. If you insist, there's really no point in staying. You're not making very much sense. I'm sure you have an excellent brain, but I do think it's been a trifle muddled. Something has done a fine job. Someone has done a fine job. Well now, I'll be on my way. Just let me get my hat. The old gentleman stepped inside. He came out a moment later with a shotgun. What's that for? The young man asked. Why, I'm going to kill you, of course. My world won't live past morning, more than likely, and I fully intend to enjoy its final moments. And enjoy them I shall, more than you can possibly imagine. I'm going to live myself a second life. Tonight, right here. And I think it should be even better than the first. Of course, since all of my kind have left, I intend to live it alone. A and me? You? Why, you're not my kind. We couldn't be more unlike. Surely I don't want to ruin this one last night, this quintessential night, with someone like you. Oh no, I'm going to kill you. You can't. You, you won't know how. I bet you've never killed anyone. Precisely. I've always led a rather quiet life. A professor of literature who loved his, loved his work, that's all. No war ever called me to serve, and frankly, the spectacle of pointless butchery makes me ill. I wouldn't have made a very good soldier, I'm afraid. Still, had I been with Actius once upon a time, I think I would have reveled in killing my share of Hun. And with the likes of Charles Martel and Godfrey of Bouillon and Baldwin the Leper, I'm sure I would have shown a certain zeal in poking my blade through Arab flesh. I might have fallen before Byzantium, fighting by Constantinople Dragas's side. 
But God, what a horde of Turks I would have cut down before I gasped my last. Besides, when a man is convinced of his cause, he doesn't die quite so easily. See, there I am, springing back to life in the ranks of the Teutons, hacking the Slav to shreds, and there leaving Rhodes with Villiers d'Alli-Adam and his peerless little band, my white cloak blazoned with the cross, my sword dripping blood, then sailing with Don Juan of Austria, off to even the score at Lepanto. Ah, what a splendid slaughter. Oh well, you'll have to excuse an old professor's pedantic prattle. But you see, I too have stopped thinking and just want to tell you where I stand. You're right, I've never killed a soul, much less any of the types I've just conjured up. All of them standing here before me at last in your flesh, all rolled into one. But now I'm going to live those battles over all at once. Those battles that I feel so much a part of deep in my soul. And I'm going to act them out right here, all by myself, with one single shot. Like this. The young man collapsed in a graceful glide along the railing where he had been leaning, and wound up in a squat, arms hanging by his sides, in a position that seemed quite natural for him. The red spot over his left breast spread out a little, but the blood stopped quickly. It was a nice, tidy death. As his eyes closed beneath the professor's gentle thumb and finger, they didn't even look surprised. No flags, no fanfares, just a victory western style, as complete as it was absurd and useless, and utterly at peace with himself, more exquisitely at peace than he remembered ever being, old Monsieur Calgu turned his back on the corpse and went inside. <laughs>